I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right, good morning. Welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 1039 WYAB. Thanks for joining me today. I will not be doing any election result coverage today. I'm interested in it, but I am recording this actually on Tuesday for air on Wednesday, so I don't know the results. I toyed around with maybe guessing them, trying to get out ahead of them, predict them. No, but that's what's very interesting to me. And to be honest with you, very little about Mississippi politics is very interesting to me. We have a bad habit of being just milk toast, unimaginative uh, people when it comes to electing people to office. Hopefully that changes to a degree. I hope that as you're hearing the sound of my voice on Wednesday, we do have a new lieutenant governor, but it's going to be very interesting to see if Delbert Hoseman actually is reelected because we all live in these bubbles. And here at the station, while... We probably, the different hosts, differ, disagree on certain things, but there's there's definitely a vibe running through WYAB that is anti-establishment. Now, I think I have actually lurched even out of the anti-establishment. I'm now in the anti-establishment of the anti-establishment establishment, but <laughs> we, we want to see some change. And people here at WYAB are more freedom-centric, but it's a big state. It's a big state, not not traditionally speaking within the context of the United States, but uh, over 3 million people in the state of Mississippi. And I guess what this is to me is a litmus test. How many normies out there? How many people who just are going to go with name recognition, who are not really going to look into the things, or really are not interested in the kind of freedom topics that Chris McDaniel talks about? That's really the litmus test of the elections by the time you hear the show. Uh, we already know, I guess, hopefully, unless this is one of those that goes out to weeks or months. But anyway, hopefully Mississippi has a a shred of imagination enough to elect a couple of more interesting people. So we will see. Quotes of the day to date for today's show. The first thing is I ran across a guy named Jordan Schachtel. Schachtel? Uh, He writes for the Ron Paul Institute. He wrote this, he said, The technocratic tyrants of the, of the world still believe that there is only upside to any current and future attempts at sweeping power grabs. How can you blame them? After all, they got away with it. All of it. Anthony Fauci is a worldwide celebrity and has taken up prestigious series of appointments at Georgetown University and elsewhere. Bill Gates and the gang are jet-setting around the world preaching the gospel of the climate hoax church. The C-suite executives and boards of directors at Pfizer and Moderna remain unscathed. 
Most of the appointees to the Trump and Biden coronavirus task forces have long since cashed out and laundered their credentials through the revolving door and into the biotech big pharma space. And the list goes on. Now that's, <laughs> that's tough for me. I really do believe, you know, the, the rapidity of news and events that come after us, it, it's very hard to, uh, to, to hang on and see something through in terms of accountability. I think this is the biggest problem with what we have with our political class. We, we're too busy fighting the new thing to go back and hold them accountable, their feet to the fire for the old thing. And this is really a flaw. Some of us need to peel off and say, okay, we dedicate the next five to ten years as this being our cause. All the new stuff, somebody else get the new crimes. Somebody needs to hold them accountable for the old crimes. Unfortunately, uh, that does not seem to happen. Emerald Robinson tweeted this out. She said, America is now a post-constitutional society. The federal government has no actual legal boundaries. Our corrupt political elites recognize no limits to their whims. They do not even pretend to be public servants anymore. They consider themselves to be your rulers. And that one is quite evident. Ayn Rand. Yeah, I got a few of them today. Ayn Rand said this. She said, quote, Inflation is caused by the government by an artificial expansion of the money supply required to support deficit spending. No bank robbers in history have ever plundered people's savings on a scale comparable to the plunder perpetuated by the fiscal policies of statist governments. And she's exactly right. This is what's always been kind of interesting to me when you get into government, how the rules change. See, when you murder a dozen people, you're a serial killer. People will demand immediately sentence of death upon you. When you murder millions of people... You're just a politician or a bureaucrat or somebody in, a, in an agency somewhere. You actually live quite a great life, and people seem to support you. When you print a few hundreds of thousands of dollars, you're a counterfeiter, right? You go out and try to dummy up some 20s or some 10s. I, I've seen them even checking $5 bills and $1 bills when I deal with cash sometimes. I think, boy, we've got some, we've got some, uh, some really... Uh, Un, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, unaspirational counterfeiters out there if they're out actually counterfeiting $1 bills. But uh, if you counterfeit a few 10,000, 100,000 in counterfeit bills, you're a counterfeiter. Uh, when you print trillions of dollars, you're a central bank. People will camp out. There will be big press conferences for you, big dinners, big soirees, big worldwide meetings you get to jet to. When you steal thousands of dollars from people or businesses, you're a thief. And that, that's even true for California. Now, in California, you can steal up to, I believe, what is it, $900, $950, $975? They won't give you any hassles. <laughs> Poor California. Uh, but for the most, most of us, if you steal something for $900 or $1,000 or if you embezzle from your company $10,000, you're a thief. And you will do time. But when you steal trillions, when you steal trillions, you're a government. And this was a kind of an interesting one, too. This is for the, maybe this one's for the normies out there, the people who, they, they like to think that they're on one of the teams and the political stuff, so they will essentially throw their lot in because they feel wanted by the Republicans or the Democrats, and they will 
they will glad hand and take selfies with the political royalty when they when they deem to honor you with their presence at a Rotary Club or something like that. Uh, this quote was out there, stop trying to sit at the tables that Jesus would flip over. Yeah, amen. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a, a, an off-topic thing before we get into the meat of the show today. I went a uh, weekend before last. I'm not a big tribute band guy, but I went and saw I went and saw a Queen tribute band called Killer Queen uh, at one of the casinos in the town where I am stationed now. It was fairly entertaining. Seats weren't great. I was duped when I bought tickets online. It looked kind of like an amphitheater type thing, but it was just a big, big. Uh, flat floor. I'm too short to buy tickets uh, any further back than about the first four rows of a standing, you know, or a seated event. Everybody eventually stands up. I missed most of the show. I saw people in the show. It's still just a mystifying thing to me. People who were recording the entire show of a Queen cover band with their phone held up in front of them. Now, I know this is not new. I'm not breaking any new news here. I just found it interesting. I even saw some people that were filming the large television screens on the side of the stage because they couldn't get a good clear shot. So they're taking a video of a video of an event that they were at. It's always kind of mystifying to me. The, the reason that I bring it up is that it, it just listening to some of Queen's stuff, I'm a big Queen fan. Uh, I think Freddie Mercury really was a genius showman. He had just a wonderful voice, some fantastic music out of Queen. And so after seeing this, I went back and looked at some old video stuff. One of my favorite go-tos is Queen at Live Aid back in 1985. There's just been no better rock show. It's only like 21 minutes long, but it's just fantastic. I've probably seen it 60 times just in the past five years. Something uplifting about it. It also transports me back to the 1980s when we haven't, hadn't lost our ever-loving mind in this country uh, as a society. But if you watch any of the documentaries about Queen or saw Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie about it, Freddie Mercury was a an odd-looking gay Lebanese guy uh, in England. And just the series of events that led up to him becoming one of the greatest frontmen for a band in the history of rock and roll, a tremendous amount of luck was involved in that. And and I started thinking about it the other day, just going through the news and seeing people. I saw these these videos of the big event that was that took place in the park in New York the other day that turned into a riot because some streamer I I'm gonna say words I don't even know the meaning of. Uh, I think he he's a streamer on Twitch. I don't even remember the guy's name. I'd never heard of him before, but apparently he gave away some free stuff and just thousands and thousands of people showed up to see this person. And I heard somebody commenting on it, and they were saying that, yeah, some of these streamers, you know, to drive uh, to drive views to some of these websites, the websites themselves will kind of sponsor these people and pump up their product and pump up their, uh, their content so a lot of people see it and are drawn to the platform. These people are making millions of dollars, and I saw a very brief clip of this kid. He appeared to be late teens, early 20s maybe. There was nothing about it that I don't think anybody out of 100 people couldn't, 95% of them could 
speak like he did. It just, there was just nothing to it. It was luck. This kid grew of age and got on something and got on someone's radar and ended up making millions of dollars when he looks like if this hadn't happened for him, he would be possibly sweeping floors or maybe just in a regular job. Maybe he'd be a banker. I, I don't know. But he wouldn't be making millions of dollars. It's just interesting the, the, the part of our lives where luck plays a part. Now, I am not in any way insinuating that to get some level of notoriety like Freddie Mercury or the streamer or anything like that, that that is really what life is all about. There are lots of very miserable people. They might have lucked up to get into a band, and that band might have lucked up with a couple of good hits and become superstars. Or this kid, it doesn't mean that they're happy. It doesn't mean that they're healthy. Freddie Mercury died young and was probably dealt with a great deal of trauma during his life. So I do not equate material wealth with luck, but it's just very interesting the, the paths that people's lives take. There is a certain luck privilege out there, I guess if you could could coin a phrase. And I, I dare not say that out loud because I think the government might come out, Democrats in particular, might try to find a way to mitigate luck. Lucky people should somehow suffer some consequence because they they lucked into things. But I know a lot of people the same way. Your parents left you a business. Your parents, years ago, when they were frugal, not of any means, but they happened to own some land that a developer ended up wanting in an area where the town moved. I mean, there's just, there is so much luck out there in the world that separates people. And I think of some of these musicians that, you know, Freddie Mercury was great. I think he earned his spot with his talent there. But I see I see street musicians, particularly on YouTube, where you see these people with just incredible talent, but they look like they're living hand-to-mouth. Now, they may actually be happier. It may be more lucky for them to be a street performer, interacting with the people and making uh, just an honest but maybe meager living. Some of these people actually do pretty well. But it is just very interesting in the paths that our lives take and how much of it is reliant on luck. This is not a great topic for talk radio, but I'm astounded by it. I know people who have won life's lottery. We all know somebody who it seems like nothing ever really goes wrong <laughs> for those people. And some of us struggle. I consider myself to be a very lucky person. I've, I've had a good life from the very beginning up to and including today. I certainly see a tremendous amount of luck in my life, but there's, there's some lucky things that have not broken my way. I've been through some tough times, too. Maybe those were lucky, too, to give me some perspective, but it's just interesting. I think there is a luck privilege uh, out there. And if you're lucky, particularly, oh, man, in a spouse, that's, that's where I say the big luck is, because you don't know what someone's going to be like in 10 to 20 years. There is no way to know. If you marry somebody at 18, at 28, at 38 or 48, you do not know what that human being is going to be in 10 years or 20 years. Now, you can do your best research, and you can find a good quality person to be a spouse, but you don't know. <laughs> None of us know. We've seen people change. That is the kind of luck that I wish uh, for my children. Uh, for sure. Um, when I get back, we'll talk a little bit about the news of the day. I may be about to make a bunch of people mad. I don't know. 
It's just that so much of life is so mystifying to me. And as we are going through campaign seasons, both here in Mississippi and ramping up to the national stuff, I find myself just scratching my head and wondering what it is that I am missing that is igniting the passion of most Americans uh, out there around these races. We'll talk about that and some of the economic stuff that's come across their wires in the past week. When I come back, stick around. I was born a shotgun in my hands Behind the gun I'll make my final stand Yeah And that's why they call me You know, doing a talk radio show on conservative talk radio is not easy for me. I'm not trying to get any sympathy or anything, but I'll be honest with you. I'm so over the current political system and so much activity, so much energy that's put into it that I find absolutely mystifying. To to me, it's like playing the lottery, except that if you spend $2 on a lottery ticket and you don't win, you're only out $2. I mean, people don't die. (laughs) And you have the same odds of getting the result out of the political class that we continue to support that you have of winning the lottery. What is it, 201 and 220 million, something like that, to one that you'll pick the right lottery ticket? I'd say those odds might be better than you actually getting out of a politician what you, what you think you will. Now, God love the people. I know people who have taken up the cause of Chris McDaniel in Mississippi. That's a good local race where you can make—it's a very powerful position, and Chris McDaniel's a real dude. People have talked to him and been around him and seen his record in the Senate and the state of Mississippi. God love you for putting energy into that kind of thing. It's more the national stuff that I really just—I just don't even get it. And and it's very difficult for me because— Again, am I whining? I sound like I'm whining a little bit, I, I guess. <laughs> but it's it, the campaigns never end. You know, it's every two years, then it's every four years. But but the campaign season never really ends. The Rep- House of Representatives, every two years, we get about a year out of that. They don't really campaign for After a presidential election, we get about eight months off. Maybe eight months, and that's only if you don't watch the mainstream media. Because if you watch the mainstream media, they begin, uh, automatically they start talking uh, about the next election. So it, it's difficult. I was listening to Charlie Kirk the other day. I don't have big beefs with Charlie Kirk, but he's a, to me, he's, he is, I've been talking about it last few weeks, there is this anti-establishment on the right that has cropped up. But people like Charlie Kirk are now the anti-establishment establishment. Matter of fact, they can't speak out against the heroes of the anti-establishment establishment because they'll lose their place in it. You understand what I'm saying? Now, there's this whole new cottage industry where, and I believe it is largely around Donald Trump, that you just you cannot address the shortcomings of Donald Trump in that world for fear of losing your position in this new anti-establishment establishment. And I was looking, listening to Charlie Kirk the other day. I was driving, and you know he's entertaining. He does some good stuff. A lot of things that I might agree with him on. Not everything, but some things. And it was several segments where he was talking about. Uh, he was talking to Byron Donald, who's a uh, he's a black, uh, I think he's a congressman. He might be from Florida. Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. I'm telling you. I, I just, 
I don't do the trading cards on these people anymore, except for the ones I find most objectionable. And I learn a lot about them. A couple of them coming up in a second. But Charlie Kirk just did this a segment after segment on who was going to be Trump's VP. And I mean, he just went on and on. And I know people like it. And who am I to judge someone like Charlie Kirk, who's wildly more successful uh, than I am? But I just found it myself listening to it like it's some kind of a bad rerun. I mean, every year it's the same crap on the election. And then after the elections, it's the same crap raining down on all of us again. It is the same stuff. I know we will hear. And, you know, there's some truth to this. Every four years we hear this this is the most important election of our lifetime. And I guess technically that's true. I know it's supposed to motivate everybody and make sure that you get out there and really vote hard, harder, push that button really hard. It surely is going to work this time. This is the year. My lottery ticket comes in. I'll tell you, the I, I got to play the lottery. Right now, as I'm recording this, I think the, the Mega Millions is a one it's over a billion dollars at this point. I had done the math at one point. I think I talked about it on the show. It feels like uh, at some point it gets to a level where even with your odds, you could borrow. And I can't. I had the figures at one time. You could go out and raise the money to buy every single number combination. It would cost you, I think, close to close to what was it? Maybe six hundred million dollars. I can't remember. Don't quote me on any of this. The math worked unless some other some other jackass tied you on a number because, you know, you would win everything, right? You'd win every prize, every, I don't know, if you match two, you win something. If you match three, match four, match five, get the power roll, all this stuff. You'd win on every single combination. So you'd not only get the main prize, but you'd get all the ancillary prizes too. The problem is if somebody shares the number, it's, it's a waste. But I was... I saw this big jackpot was at the Mega Millions, and I was looking at my wallet. I usually carry a little extra cash. I tuck it away in my wallet. Don't anybody rob me. It's not a whole lot. But it's a C-note usually. I'll just make sure I've got a little cash in case I ever need it, of course, at least now while they're still taking cash. And I was looking to see if that money was still in there, and I pulled it out, and it's folded up. I, I wear, you know, I don't have a bill fold. That's so 1980s. I've got a money clip for the front pocket, much better for the back. But I pulled this dollar out, and this little slip of paper pulled, popped out, and these numbers appeared in front of me on this tiny piece of paper, and I flipped it over, and it said, you will be uh, incredibly financially prosperous. It was some fortune cookie that I'd kept years and years ago that I'd forgotten about. I mean, if that's not a sign, i gotta, I got to buy a ticket today. Don't tell Jim Thorne. He's not a fan of the lottery. Don't tell Jim Thorne I'm going to buy a lottery ticket, but I'm going to go buy one today with the numbers that popped out of my wallet. We'll just see. Maybe it's a sign. Uh, but but this, this obsession with the politics, it, it, it doesn't seem to get us anywhere. And if there was somebody who was wildly different, and I know a lot of people think Trump is different, but his term was just another in the long list of freedom-sucking administrations. But because he told everybody he had the strongest economy ever, everybody thinks it was a great success. And this is, goes to the anti-establishment, establishment media people who keep repeating this thing, not paying attention to the fact that trillions and trillions of dollars were printed up to make this, air quotes here in the studio, great economy. Our trade deficit with China actually got worse under Donald Trump. Now, I'm not saying it was as bad as it is now. Joe Biden is obviously a complete disaster, but many of these 
problems we see right now, as I've said many times, were laid out in front of us years and decades in the making. But at, at this point, I just, I really don't care about these things. It's very difficult to do a show. You know, I don't plan really personally, I don't plan on cooperating with Joe Biden or whoever. I cannot believe for a minute. Now, this is slightly interesting to me, how the Democrats do some kind of a rope-a-dope to get out from under the Joe Biden administration without without offending a black VP because she's not going to win, so they can't let her run, so they got to somehow displace her in favor of somebody else. Of course, that could be Michelle Obama, Big Mike. <laughs> I haven't, I don't think I've ever touched on the Michelle Obama stuff and exactly what the origin of <clears throat> Michelle Obama is. But it's, there's some pretty funny stuff online out there, so I don't know what it is. There's, it's going to be interesting to see if they can get out from underneath Biden because there's a whole lot of hand-wringing going on out there about this race between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I do not think Joe Biden is going to be participating, but, of course, I thought he was going to be out out last year. But the bottom line is, when it's all said and done, neither one of them are going to have any power over me as far as what I recognize. Doesn't mean they can't mess up things in my life, put hurdles in front of me. That's all these politicians end up doing. But it, it's it's hard for me to take this. This Here's a clip. Oh, what happened to Ron DeSantis? I thought he was at least going to have a showing. And, and this is my suspicion on the whole Trump indictment stuff. You know, you don't hear me talking about it as much as everybody else, because I, I smell a rat. I'm telling you, the Democrats know with every indictment, every subpoena, every raid, they know they make Trump stronger. So why are they doing it? At the very beginning of this race, Ron DeSantis was the rising star, and in many polls, he was well out in front of Donald Trump. Now, he hadn't started his incredibly horrible <laughs> campaign. Uh, apparently, he's just fired his campaign manager. I don't think that's the problem, Ron. I think you've got other problems. I'm about to play one of them, but Trump is actually a creation of the people that everybody is against on the right. J Donald Trump is a creation of the media. He's a creation of the deep state. Every attack on Donald Trump makes him stronger, and they know that. So why do they keep doing it? This makes me suspicious. I'll just say that. It makes me suspicious. But Ron DeSantis, holy cow, what a big swing and a miss. I am so glad. I'm telling you, I'm, I, I'm okay with my track record on this show. I told you, great governor of Florida, keep him there because I'm scared when he hits the national scene what he's going to say because I know he's a neocon. He came out, this is a five-second clip, and came out and said this the other day. We're going to go after these third-world countries uh, that have become hotbeds of anti-Semitism. Yeah, that, that's on everybody's mind, isn't it? We need to go after, we need to use the U.S. federal government, the largest military has ever inhabited planet Earth, and we need to go after third world countries who may say disparaging things about the state of Israel or Jewish people. That's what we need to start fighting wars over now. You already got Vivek and Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene trying to take us to war with Mexico over fentanyl, which, of course, would not even be a substance being ingested by people if it wasn't for the already horrific failure of the war on drugs in the first place. But you've got Trump, Vivek, and uh, MTG along it. What I heard was that Marjorie Taylor Greene is working with Dan Crenshaw, the rhino neocon, to put together some kind of legislation to actually commit U.S. troops to Mexico to go fight the cartels. Again, the same cartels that are made rich and powerful. They've taken over Mexico because of the failed war on drugs. The people who make Corona beer aren't doing human trafficking 
the people who make Jose Cuervo, they're just peacefully shipping their product in trucks across the border and selling it at liquor stores. No big deal. But when it comes to plants that we powder or plants that we smoke, they've decided that's different than plants that we drink. Anyway, I digress. You know I can go into that subject for forever. But so all of these candidates are just, they're horrific to me. Even, even RFK Jr., who is probably the most serious person in the race, even with his flaws on many things, many things. He's got problems with guns. He's got problems with climate. Now, he gets a lot of things right, but even he is tripping over himself right there with Ron DeSantis to, to be the, the bestest buddy of the state of Israel. It's really been kind of pathetic and gross to see because I do have a tremendous amount of respect for RFK Jr. in what he's done on the health, freedom, and the vaccine front. So they're also wildly disappointing, and there's so much energy that goes into it. But I will play this one clip. This gives me some tiny bit of hope. Some tiny bit of hope that people may be, may be waking up. Now, this is an easy one. It's like a kindergartner-level uh, awakening, if I can put it that way. This is uh, the, the tired turtle, Mitch McConnell, did a speech the other day. And the audience reaction, I'll just put it, we need more of this. Now, what's great about that, he just keeps on talking. This reminds me a lot of the other beautiful clip, clip of the year, where Lindsey Graham was booed mercilessly at a Trump rally. They are chanting, retire. I thought it was free tires. I, I don't know what it was at first, but they're chanting, retire. And somebody made the comment, they said, the reason he just keeps talking is he's so old, he can't hear them. <laughs> But that's, that is a bright spot in this political season. As I say, this is one of the easiest ones in the world to want this guy, this guy who has run the show for the Republican Party for decades now. He essentially was paralyzed in front of a microphone the other day and had to be led off and looked like a child. He looked very similar to Joe Biden, these octogenarians that are running the show right now. So this is an easy one. It's a layup. But when I hear the right booing Lindsey Graham and I heard, hear them chanting retire at Mitch McConnell, eh, I don't have a whole lot of patience, but I'm glad to see at least this is starting. I'll be right back. A little bit of loneliness, a little bit of disregard, handful of complaints, but I can't help the fact that everyone can see these scars. What I want you to want, what I want you to feel, but it's like no matter what I do, I can't convince you to just believe this is real. So let go of watching you turn your back like you always do. Face away and pretend that I'm not, but I'll be here because you're all that I got. All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, I have certain things I'm slightly obsessed with. For the good or bad of the show, one, of course, the Federal Reserve exposing that, exposing the two-party system. And then in economics, uh, things like Jim Cramer's horrific picks for the people who watch his show. I don't have a Jim Cramer example today. I'm sure I've just missed some, but... Uh, but another one of the things I am just obsessed with trying to figure out is Uber. The ride-sharing 
program because it is such a genius idea. It's, it's very libertarian in the idea. You know, taxis became very government regulated. In New York City, I know it was over a million dollars to get a medallion for a taxi. I think that's for a single taxi. So if you wanted to start a taxi company there, you'd have to go to the government with hat in hand and take out huge loans to just go out there and drive people from one place to another. Uber just came in and said, this is ridiculous. Somebody needs a ride? I don't mind giving them a ride for a few bucks. And they just paired them together. It was just an app to take somebody who had a car and pair them with somebody who needed a ride. Number That's very libertarian. That's a very free market way to combat government overreach in uh, things like taxi cabs. I'm just amazed at how horrifically they've done it financially. Because I ran across this the, the other day. Uber, I guess it started in 2014. So we're about nine years into Uber. Again, all they had to do, <laughs> they don't pay for cars. They don't pay for the driver's insurance. They don't pay the drivers a salary. They just have a little bit of advertising and then the servers that run the system. I know there's some programming and some other stuff. Definitely, you know, tens of millions of dollars to operate this thing efficiently. Yet somehow, where they have no expenses of maintaining a car, insuring a car, giving people benefits, providing any salaries, they're just matching. Somehow, over the last nine years, they have lost a cumulative $31.5 billion dollars. Now, this is really, it's because of the Fed that anybody even allowed this kind of a runway of losses for a company. If the Federal Reserve was not printing up funny money, no investor would have put their hard-earned money, you know, money that you actually had to earn and protect. But with all these zero interest rates, you notice this thing starts in 2014 and starts just gobbling up cash because money was essentially free to the private equity crowd. They could throw it at anything, hoping it, hoping it would stick. $31.5 billion in losses to run an app that pairs somebody with a car with somebody that needs a ride. <laughs> this, you you got you to work hard to lose that kind of money. I'll put it that way. Speaking of losing money in Uber, I believe Uber, I think they're based in San Francisco. Or I know they're a West Coast company anyway. Check this out. Uh, this statistic came out about the, uh, the government of San Francisco. is They're tackling homelessness there. Poor San Francisco, just such a great city. One of my favorite places to visit uh, up to about 10, 15 years ago, and I haven't been back since. Still just, it's a beautiful town. I loved the trolley cars as a kid and even as an adult. It, it's, it's really a beautiful town. They've completely destroyed it with the leftist policies there, but they are tackling homelessness. Uh, this person says, how well does the government spend your money? According to the World, uh, Wall Street Journal, San Francisco has added 736 homeless people to its shelters since 2016 at an annual cost of $609,000 per person. <laughs> they say, assume it actually costs $25,000 per person. That's a $584,000 per person annually wasted or stolen. It would be fascinating to know where that money goes. $609,000 per person to give shelter to each homeless person in San Francisco. Holy cow, those people. <laughs> Why they have not risen up, I do not know. You know, Elon Musk the other day came out and said, we are not leaving San Francisco. I think, wow, that does not seem uh, consistent with everything else. 
We also just passed a new milestone just a couple of days ago. Uh, we hit in this country for the first time ever over $1 trillion in consumer credit card debt. $1 trillion for the first time. Now, I have to say, I'm not pointing any fingers. I am part of that. I think last month I charged and still have a balance sitting of $231. So I do need to pay that off. I do not want to be a part of this over $1 trillion statistic. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to do it today, as a matter of fact. I'm going to pay off my $231 balance on the one credit card that I used last month. And I think I used it. I think I used it just to pay for my storage unit, which is full of a bunch of crap I don't use, which is $200 a month. That's a bad financial decision, Mike. My relatives keep dumping stuff on me. Have you had this phenomenon in your life where older parents are just like, no, no, go ahead and take this and take that. Now, what they're actually doing is they're downsizing and they don't want to mess with Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or even taking it somewhere to donate it. So they act like they're doing you a favor <laughs> by giving you these family heirlooms that really mean nothing to you and they just take up space. That's the primary use of my storage unit is all of the silt that is filtered down from a couple of different families and landed. I'm storing some furniture that my little brother who lives in Seattle doesn't want in case someday he wants it. It's crazy. Anyway, I'm going to pay off my $231 charge. But when I come back, I've got to take a break. I'm going long on every segment here. When I come back, there were some there's statistics. And this is why I say... You know, you've done this voting thing over and over every two and four and six years, depending on the office, and the statistics just keep going in the wrong direction. I just don't understand the energy. None of the people running right now are so dramatically different that they're going to change the story that I bring to you next. Stick around. Maybe I'm the one, maybe I'm the one who is a schizophrenic psycho, yeah. Maybe I'm the one, maybe I'm the one who is a schizophrenic psycho. All right, final segment for the day. I don't have a whole lot of time to spend on this. I could spend more time, but really it speaks for itself. This was an article in The Hill, and I was certainly attracted to it as dissatisfied as I am with the way this country is run and the fact that the government strips us of our wealth each and every year. I saw this headline, more Americans say they can never retire. Growing share of American uh, working Americans don't think they will ever retire, recent surveys suggest. Retirement is a time-honored life stage and a near-universal expectation in working America, yet a comfortable retirement requires savings, and many workers fear they don't have enough. In a July poll conducted jointly by Axios and Ipsos, 29% of workers under 55 answered a retirement query with, quote, I don't think I will ever retire, unquote. Another survey from the Employee Benefit Research Institute found that one-third of workers now expect to retire at 70 or later or never. A third report from the Transamerica Center for Retirement Studies found that 40% of Generation X workers and nearly half of boomers expect to retire after 70 or not at all. Retirement fears seem to be rising. In the EBRI study, the share of workers planning to delay retirement rose to 33% in 2023 from 29% in 2022 and 26% in 2021. 
The summer of 2023 might seem an odd moment for Americans to feel short of retirement funds. Nearly three-quarters of all 401k money sits in stocks, and the stock market is booming. Of course, that's only been uh, editorial comment here by Mike Madison. It's been in like five stocks. <laughs> five or seven stocks have been pulling the entire stock market. So if you weren't in those things, uh, you hadn't been making a whole lot. But I, I bring this up for this one reason. The story goes on to say one big reason workers are worrying about retirement is inflation, which surged in 2021 and 2022 after many years of relatively flat prices. And the fact is, is that all of these people who are, they're, they're resigned to the idea that they're going to retire late, if at all, do not understand that this political class caused the creation of all of this money, which is beating them over the heads with inflation. Add to that that the government confiscates immorally, I believe unconstitutionally, every single year they confiscate anywhere from a third to a half of your income, your entire working life, that 40, 50 years that you worked, they've taken probably half of it in all of the fees, fines, and taxes that have been levied on you all these years. This is not tough to fix. And for some strange reason, nobody will even talk about it. Not one person... Not one person that I've heard in the Republican field has talked about the fact that Americans can't retire because the government takes all of their money. Not one person on the right is talking about the fact that inflation is a result of these huge deficits and that government must be reined in tremendously. Not one person on the right running. This is why none of these candidates impress me. That's all the time I got today. Have a great one. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.